0: So we're reading from Isaiah chapter 23, starting at verse 1. A prophecy against Tyre. Wail, you ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is destroyed and left without house or harbour. From the land of Cyprus word has come to them. Be silent, you people of the island, and you merchants of Sidon, whom the seafarers have enriched. On the great waters came the grain of Sihor, the harvest of the Nile was the revenue of Tyre, and she became the marketplace of the nations. Be ashamed, Sidon, you fortress of the sea, for the sea has spoken. I have never been in labour nor given birth, I neither reared sons nor brought up daughters. When word comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish at the report from Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish. Wail, you people of the island. Is this your city of revelry, the old, old city whose feet have taken her to settle in far-off lands? Who planned this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants are princes, whose, whose traders are renowned in the earth? The Lord Almighty planned it to bring down her pride in all her splendor, and to humble all who are renowned on the earth. Till your land as they do along the Nile door to Tarshish, for you no longer have a harbor. The Lord has stretched out his hand over the sea and made its kingdom tremble. He has given an order concerning Phoenicia and her fortresses, that her fortresses be destroyed. He said... No more of your revel- reveling virgin daughter, Sidon, now crushed. Up, cross over to Cyprus. Even there you will find no rest. Look at the land of the Babylonians, this people that is now of no account. The Assyrians have made it a place of, for desert creatures. They raise up their siege towers. They stripped its fortress bare and turned it to ruin. Wail, you ships of Tarshish, your fortress is destroyed. At that time, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, the span of a king's life. But at the end of these 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the prostitute. Take up a harp, walk through the city, you forgotten prostitute. Play the harp well, sing many a song so that you will be remembered. At the end of 70 years, the Lord will deal with Tyre. She will return to her lucrative prostitution and will ply her trade with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. Yet her profit and her earnings will be set apart for the Lord. They will not be stored up or hoarded. Her profits will go to those who live before the Lord for abundant food and fine clothes.
1: Hi, everyone. Um, My name's Jamie, if we haven't met before. Uh, Now, this might be a bit stressful, but I want to take you back to about a year ago. Uh, Remember that first period of lockdown. Uh, We found ourselves making the snap decision to flee from Sydney to Adelaide to have our baby around family. And I vividly remember the fear of so many what-if conversations. How about you? Uh, What about that feeling of not being able to find things at the shops. Do you remember that? Pasta, soap, of course, the status symbol of 2020, toilet paper. Now, here in Adelaide at least, that all feels like a blip now, doesn't it? But at the time, it felt a bit like the ground was dropping out from under us. I don't know about you, but I'm used to the idea that things are gonna magically be there in the shops. As a Christian, I remember thinking, wow, phrases like God's got it all under control rolled off the tongue a bit easier when things were going well. Was my trust really in God then, or was it in other things? When our world is in turmoil, phrases like those either start to mean a lot less or a lot more. In our little corner of the world, that at least seems on the surface to be quite cosy and controlled, it was a taste, wasn't it, of the dependable letting us down. For a little while there at least, we had to ask, are the things we took for granted as trustworthy really so dependable? And that was the question that God's people, Israel and Judah, found themselves asking on a much bigger scale. Are the things we take for granted really so dependable? If you've been here, uh, as we've been diving in the book of Isaiah over the past few weeks, as Matt said, today's sermon is going to be different to last week's sermon. Last week, we got this amazing picture of Israel's hope and ours, where despite the foolishness of mankind and of the just judgment of exile, God promises a prince of peace who will bring his people home to a place with no more sin and no more sorrow. That was chapter 11 and 12. And from chapter 13 to our chapter today, the tone changes. God systematically and terrifyingly warns the nations around Israel and Israel itself of the dire consequences of living as if they ran the world. The way I'd sum that section of Isaiah up is proud nations humbled. God's people have a great hope. But in the meantime, they're in danger of putting their dependence in the wrong place. Of letting their eyes wander to the powerful and successful people around them and thinking, that's what I want. And forgetting the God who loves them. That's a risk today too, isn't it? In our world of influencers and celebrities, there are lots of places to look and think, I want that. And today's chapter focuses on the glamorous city of Tyre. And it's confronting, but it's exactly what we need if we want a solid hope more dependable than the fleeting security of wealth and comfort. So that when the ground crumbles beneath us, we can know real safety and security. So, point one, see the giant fall. Have a look with me at verse one. A prophecy against Tyre, wail, you ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is destroyed and left without house or harbour. From the land of Cyprus, word has come to them. Now, a bit of geography helps us feel the impact of this imagery. Uh, I think there's something there. Apologies for the slightly unreadable fonts. Um, Tyre was a port city of Phoenicia, a thriving hub of a rich coastal region near Israel, where modern-day Lebanon is, and Tarshish across the sea over there, across the Mediterranean Sea, probably in modern-day Spain. It was a colony of Phoenicia, and Cyprus is the island in between, still called that today. So we picture these grand trade ships coming across from Tarshish, bringing the exotic riches of the colony back to the motherland. On the way, they stop over at Cyprus. You can imagine the crew having a great time. What happens on Cyprus stays on Cyprus. (laughs) But then they get the word. Something is wrong at home. In fact, there is no home to go back to. And so this giant of wealth begins to topple. It's a Wall Street crash of epic proportions. The shockwaves shockwaves of this news reverberate throughout the world. Tyre's neighbor, Sidon, begins to mourn in verse 2. Then the mighty nation of Egypt, a great ally of Tyre, gets the news in verse 5. And one word captures the world's response. It's repeated three times in the chapter wail the crew stop their partying and weep the people of the coast are left in stunned silence egypt writhes in agony even the sea that formidable force cries like a grieving parent the unthinkable has happened the ground has disappeared have a look at verse 7 Is this your city of revelry? The old, old city whose feet have taken her to settle in far off lands? It's a bit like imagining a world with no Paris or no New York. How could an enterprising city with so much history and influence fall to the ground? It's a threat to the world as we know it. And that's exactly the point. As confronting as it is, this picture of the future is a gift from God so that the faithful Israelites won't, re- won't depend on the wrong thing. Money and power seem to keep the world turning, but they are fleeting and undependable. If they're the ground beneath your feet, when they disappear, there'll be nothing to do but writhe and wail. It's easy enough to say that money isn't everything in life, but it can take a powerful hold, right? Uh, The 2005 book Affluenza described what happens when we depend on wealth for our happiness. It talks about the bloated, sluggish, and unfulfilled feeling that results from efforts to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, that's, That's a relatable feeling or an epidemic of stress, overwork, waste, and indebtedness caused by the dogged pursuit of the Australian dream. Not much has changed since 2005, or really since the 8th century BC, when the people of Israel looked over their back fences and saw the riches of Tyre, and thought, why can't I have some more of that? And tragically for many, that thought drowned out the voice of their loving Father God, who had something so much greater in store. And so God gives them and us this picture of the day that glamour is unmasked, so they don't misplace their hopes. Now it's worth saying at this point that God isn't condemning money in itself. As we read Isaiah 23, the picture is not just of wealth, it's of a proud and self-satisfied civilization that thinks it's entitled to that wealth, that says, who needs God when you can get yourself this? Ultimately, it's pride that's being unmasked here. Yet it's funny how easily wealth and pride can go hand in hand, isn't it? It's not always the case, but it helps us understand why Jesus said that A rich person coming into God's kingdom is like a camel coming through the eye of a needle. It's easy to say who needs God when it feels like you've already got heaven on earth, isn't it? And in saying that, we slander our creator and shortchange ourselves. God doesn't want that for us. So he gives us Isaiah 23. And as we read about the giant's collapse, the question emerges, when that day comes, sooner or later, that glamour is unmasked and all the empty promises of wealth are obvious, will I be rejoicing that I threw my lot in with Jesus? Or will I be among those weeping and wailing because the thing I really loved is gone? Will I be rejoicing or weeping? I find that a searching question. Because in this gorgeous part of God's world, it's the air we breathe, isn't it? You can be captured by the beauty of God's promises of a world put right in Isaiah 11. But at the same time, while we wait, there are bills to pay, family to care for, in a world that celebrates glamour. It's so easy to find ourselves slaving away, wishing for just a bit more, dreaming about that next rung up. The question that I found myself asking this week is, what are those things for me that aren't God that I would be devastated to lose, that I might get sucked into thinking are worth more than an eternity with my maker? They might be financial things. Uh, They might be other things too. The status that comes with a career, even being a pastor. The ability to play music. The approval of my friends. What would it be for you? This picture in Isaiah 23 helps us to see the limits of some of the things we might pin our hopes on. And As we let that sink into our lives... I don't think we just need to think less of money or status or whatever it might be. If we want to live as people of hope, we also need to think more about how much better Jesus is. So to take my status example, it's not just that living for status and cred will lead me down the path of crippling anxiety and insecurity. It will. But, but Jesus offers me something so much better. He gives me the status of being one of his brothers, a child of God. And when I'm convinced of that, I can come at my work from a much more secure place and know that even if my career title disappears, I don't need to wail because I'll still be someone who Jesus isn't ashamed to call his brother. When we see wealth and glamour for what it really is, we will see that God is our only solid hope. And what a great thing that is. Point two. Now how could such a proud city with such history and wealth meet such a humiliating end? That's the question of verse eight. And the answer in verse nine is clear. The Lord Almighty planned it. To bring down her pride in all her splendor and to humble all who are renowned on the earth. The Lord is king. And this God, thought at the time to be the God of a relatively small and divided kingdom, Israel, is responsible for the downfall of this giant. It was his hand that mastered the sea and shook the great kingdoms of the world. Yes, the Assyrian Empire thought it was their idea to destroy Tyre, but even they were just instruments in God's hand. And his purpose? To profane the pride of all glamour. To vandalise the varnish so that we can see how empty all human pageantry is when it ignores the true king of the world. Israel has a hard road ahead. They're facing exile because of how they treated this God and they'll be tempted to find meaning and purpose in being like their neighbours who seem to be going so well without God. But by verse 12, this once beautiful city of Tyre is like an oppressed young woman searching for a place to rest but finding nothing. We end up pitying this proud people who seem like they had it all. The Lord is king. The only place for refuge is in him. And so when Jesus turned up, he saw the crowds in Israel, the people God had brought back from the exile, just as he promised in Isaiah, still looking over their back fences, doing whatever necessary to get ahead, collecting taxes unfairly, using religion to get rich, He saw the rich and the poor and he had compassion on them. He met a rich young ruler and Mark records that when he looked at him, he loved him and said, leave it all behind and follow me. Stop living for those fleeting things. Take refuge in the king. And as we see glamour unmasked today... That's the invitation for all of us. If you're honest, have you been living for the fleeting? God shows us this picture ahead of time so that we might put our trust in something, actually someone more dependable. The king of the universe, who left the riches of heaven and became poor for our sake in order to buy us an inheritance with God that will never go rusty and that no Wall Street crash or epidemic can ever take away the inheritance of God's precious children? Do you need to start depending on Jesus today? To start looking at your money and status differently and find rest for your soul in him? I have a mate who was a pretty big up-and-comer in the AFL Uh, super fit and tons of talent. He moved from New South Wales to here in Adelaide to uh, play in the SANFL with a very real prospect of being drafted into one of the AFL sides here. And just about when he was about to make it, of course, there came the devastating knee injury. That meant he'd never be able to play professionally and after a few very sad physio appointments, it became clear that his dream Was over. And my friend now looks back on that time with a massive level of thankfulness, sadness too, but he's grateful that he didn't get sucked into that world of success and fame and money because when those things were stripped away, he realized he needed a bigger hope. And for the first time in his life, he started to think seriously about the God his parents had told him about as a kid. He started reading the Bible, and he's now one of the most passionate and joyful followers of Jesus that I know. He found someone more dependable to pin his hopes and dreams on. For the past 2,000 years, people have been baffled to find that you can take away pretty much anything from these followers of Jesus, and they'll still somehow find a reason to be joyful. That's something we all need, isn't it? Maybe it's not an AFL dream for all of us, definitely not me. But we live in a culture, an aspirational culture that says in order to have made it, you need, say, to own a certain amount of property or to have a certain amount of travel under your belt. Two great things, but as foundations for the good life, Well, COVID has shown us just how shaky they are. Imagine a world where you or your kids may never be able to own a piece of property. Or where international travel is off the cards for good. Not too hard to imagine. In that world, there's still a reason to get out of bed in the morning. A hope that nothing can take away if you know that the Lord is king. And that he's going to look after everything. As we see the city of Tyre crumbling in Isaiah, in a sense, our hopes are dashed. But above it all, we see someone more dependable. And because the Lord is king, we can stay confident. We get a glimpse of this Lord who stands above the seeming chaos of world events Now, like Isaiah's first listeners, we live in a world where kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, each one more wealthy and godless than the last. And Isaiah makes it clear that the Lord of armies planned it all. We don't have a specific word from God about the political movements of our day, but we do know that there's nothing outside of his control and that one day the whole world will know that he is king When Jesus returns and puts all things right. So we can stay calm and confident. It would be very easy reading a passage like this to start pointing our fingers at the world out there and say you've got it wrong. But knowing where it's all headed should give us a deep Jesus-like compassion for those who are still living for things that will crumble When the bottom falls out, it's painfully clear that there's only one hope for this world, the Lord who is king. Even the wealthiest city in the world is putty in his hands. From the end of verse 15, uh, from verse 15 to the end, sorry, we get a final picture of wealth in its place. God in his sovereignty brings this proud city low for 70 years, a significant but limited time. And history records actually a number of times when Tyre was brought down by other nations but still managed to kind of hang in there. But what happens after for Tyre? Do they learn that the Lord is king? It seems like they just get back to their old tricks, really, looking for their glory days. Verse 16 compares them to a forgotten prostitute wandering the city. And prostitution in the Bible often epitomizes that very human way of taking a good thing from God, like sex, and using it in a corrupted and self-seeking manner. It seems like Tyre still want the wealth that God gives, but without the giver. Let's hear their song in verse 16. Take up a harp, walk through the city, you forgotten prostitute. Play the harp well, sing many a song, so that you will be remembered. Brings uh, for me up to mind the picture of the washed-up rock star. I'm not going to name any names because I'm a fan of too many of them, but <laughs> ragged from years of decadent living, you can imagine they pick up their instruments for one more farewell tour just to drum up a bit more money. Now, I'm not saying all older musicians are like that, but there is something, isn't there, in that stereotypical washed-up rock star that shows the sadness of living for fame and glory. When someone who was once so cool is reduced to croaking, please remember me. It's a bit like what's going on for Tyre here. They're humbled and ashamed, but still hoping to find glory through wealth. And when we think about those things for us that we're tempted to pin our hopes on, What is the logical conclusion if we play that out? Does it end in a picture as sad as that? It seems like a sad end for Tyre, but the passage leaves us asking, could there be some hope for them? Let's read from verse 17. At the end of the 70 years, the Lord will deal with Tyre. She'll return to her lucrative prostitution and ply her trade with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. Yet her profit and her earnings will be set apart for the Lord. They won't be stored up or hoarded. Her profits will go to those who live before the Lord for abundant food and fine clothes. Now, as much as these verses are a bit intriguing and maybe even puzzling, one thing is for sure, if you're someone who lives before the Lord, you won't miss out. And what an encouragement that would have been to that small band of faithful Israelites who refused to put their trust in Tyre and the other wealthy nations. You won't miss out. In the end, even the wealth that they thought they were storing up will go to you. That's wealth in its place, being used to serve the God who gave it in the first place. Now, if there ever was a faithful Israelite, it was Jesus, our Saviour who didn't hold on to his riches but lowered himself to death on a cross And through that humility was brought to the highest place, the risen king of the world. So too, for those who follow him, it may mean a more humble lot now. It'll involve living for something other than the wealth of this world. But you won't miss out the abundance of an inheritance with God forever and everything you need now. But what about Tyre? Sadly, it seems like even when the emptiness of their wealth is exposed, they return to their lucrative prostitution. and That's a tragedy all too often in our world, isn't it? When God unmasks the false hopes we live for, many keep holding on to them even more stubbornly, even when it leads to misery. There's a warning there. And yet, as we read on in Isaiah, it seems... Maybe there is hope, even for the stubbornly proud. Isaiah 60 pictures a day when, instead of Israel looking over their shoulder to the other nations, the other nations will come to Israel and its great King Jesus. Surely the islands look to me. In the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your children from afar with their silver and gold to the honour of the Lord your God." Maybe some of the glamorous will put wealth in its place and willingly serve this Lord. Because that's the kind of Lord he is, no matter how far you've strayed from him, he doesn't want you to stay in that place. He exposes the emptiness of the things we try to live for and calls us to sail back home to him. Now that leaves us with a closing challenge. To hold tightly to Jesus, but loosely to wealth. Money and possessions are in themselves gifts that God gives us so that we can honour him. But it's all too easy for them to become the end in themselves when we hold them too tight. Maybe a helpful diagnostic question for us is, which aspects of my life am I least content with at the moment? There might be good reasons for that. Or it may show where we're putting too much hope in something that's just not designed to deliver. Where am I the least content? As we digest this confronting picture, what would it look like if we really believed that all we have, including however much or little wealth, ultimately belongs to God? Would it change how tightly i held on to my money or my time or my abilities i've been privileged to see some amazing examples of people holding tightly to jesus and loosely to wealth i had a super encouraging chat this week with someone who's thinking about how they can use their retirement to spend more time serving jesus and his church he'd had a taste of how unsatisfying can be to spend that season investing just in yourself and wanted to think differently about it. How countercultural is that? I've got to say, I was taking notes. Or I think of David and Jenny, a couple from a previous church who were both real high flyers in their areas of work and yet they were never above watering the church pot plants. They were two of the most generous, humble people. They had a beautiful house near Sydney Harbour And they offered it up as a space for events where the Bible was taught in a hospitable environment or where trainees like myself at the time could go and get trained. They were a great example of trying to think about putting whatever God has given us in its proper place. What are some ways that we can hold tighter to Jesus? Will it take investing a bit more time in getting to know him more? or sinking some financial resources into things that will make him known around the world. Well, to finish with a slightly trivial example, when I was a young Christian uni student, I remember being really struck by how my friend Dave reacted when his really nice Cole Clark guitar got a hole smashed in it on a camp, it was a great guitar, a bit like the one back here. But I'm not going to demonstrate. <laughs> Silly things happen on camps. And if it was me, I would have been pretty devo and kind of angry. Um, but Dave handled the whole thing in a very calm way. I remember having a band practice with him a few months later, and he had his same guitar. He couldn't afford to get it fixed. But over the big, ugly hole, he stuck this note to himself. And it had some words that I think capture the heart of today's passage. It said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When the glamour of this world, that's so enticing and alluring, gets a hole smashed in it, We don't want to be among those mourning the loss of their one true love. We want to be those rejoicing that we threw our lot in with Jesus. So let's pray now that God will help us to hold loosely to the things that won't last, but tightly to him. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father... It's been confronting, but thank you for showing us this picture of pride unmasked. Lord, we don't want to be mourning on the day Jesus comes to put all things right. We want to be rejoicing that we threw our lot in with him. So please forgive us for the way that we've lived, for other things, money, career, family, status. You know what it is. May our first love be Jesus. Please give all of us creativity and courage to go out this week and cling more tightly to him and more loosely to wealth. May we see his goodness more clearly. May we see those other good things of life in their right place. Amen.